Hello, my name is Herb Garrison. Welcome back to our uh, podcast series on well-being. I'm the Associate Dean for Graduate Medical Education and a Professor of Emergency Medicine at the Brady School of Medicine at East Carolina University and the designated institutional official for Graduate Medical Education at Vidant Medical Center. I'm honored to have as my guest in this series, Dr. Mike Lang. Dr. Lang is the Program Director for our Internal Medicine, Psychiatry, Combined Residency, and a Clinical Associate Professor and Vice Chair in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine at the Brody School of Medicine. He's also the Chief of Behavioral Health at Vidant Medical Center. We need to tell you that neither of us have any financial disclosures related to this podcast, which is an important thing when we're going to be providing a continuing medical education. And I want to thank my colleagues who are here with us, uh, Alan Brannigan and Mildred Carraway from Eastern AHEC and Kelly Whitehurst and Allison Riddick from the office of GME at Valiant Medical Center. Mike, so a third of our life uh, we're sleeping, a third uh, we're at home hanging out, and a third we're at work. Yes, indeed. But some of us are fine at home and fine sleeping, but we get to work and it ain't so well. Indeed. Uh, what causes there to be well-being issues, burnout, if you will, uh, associated with the workplace? I will tell you, I have never seen a better article published on this topic than the ones Drs. Jennings and Slavin put out in 2015 looking at factors that negatively impact the workplace. The first thing that they mentioned was workload, and I think every physician can tangibly agree to that. The number of patients that we have to see has done nothing but go up. Their complexity is becoming ever more tangible. It is not uncommon for a patient to have 10 or more active medical problems that all intertwine and impact on each other. We're also seeing the ratio to new patients relative to familiar ones can be random and intense. That creates more pressure because they require more time for adequate care, which is what we all want to provide. The crux of everything is the attention we now see between efficiency and effectiveness. Speaking of effectiveness, a doctor now is only as good as their support staff. You must have someone to help with those phone calls, the refills, the prior authorizations, the referrals. That list goes on and on, and it takes time to train and acclimate support staff. Without them, a physician drowns. You can have travel between work sites where you can lose time for reflection or even lunch as you're traveling from one place to the other. The EHR that many providers feel adds to the workload more than it reduces it. We're spending more time documenting than we're actually touching the patients. It's designed to maximize billing, but not necessarily care. It can take time to put in that data. And I know myself, for example, I have had to put my kids to bed at 10 o'clock and then go back downstairs to do notes when I should be watching television with my wife. The second issue mentioned is control. Doctors no longer feel that they have any over their schedule, their clinic templates, their work environment, their support staff. It's dictated by the institutions in many situations. Their goals often lean toward productivity and efficiency. Care decisions are out of our hands. We have insurance formularies, available providers in the region to refer to, peer-to-peer -peer reviews, competition within the Internet. We've all had the patient come in, I looked this up on Google and, and we have to deal with that. The third conundrum is effort versus reward. We have increased documentation, increased work, but decreased reimbursement from insurance and government payers, making the return on your time continue to dwindle. Paperwork, letters, phone calls yield no reimbursement. Patient dissatisfaction can be prominent, and their patient satisfaction scores can impact your productivity bonus, even though you were doing the best you could to provide care. We get a lot of 
negative feedback on our mistakes, but no positive feedback on our good work. When we find ourselves making less overall each graduation year, the student loan debt goes up, so students and early career physicians are having to moonlight extra jobs in order to pay off their student loan debt. Community and workplace is the fourth item. A toxic environment can erode the mental health of even the strongest doctor. An overly critical, micromanaging, unforgiving institutional culture makes one instinctively on edge, both professionally and personally. No recognition for hard work and innovation reduces the drive for either. Conflicts with teams or between providers reduces your ability to seek collegiality or help. So then providers feel unsupported, unrewarded, unappreciated, and isolated. The fifth and sixth obstacles I often put together because I think they're linked, and that is fairness and values. In these scenarios, providers get asked to provide care or not provide care that is directly in disalignment with their beliefs. They may perceive inequities in pay, call, or committee service. They may see colleagues advance unfairly, or they may see criticism for taking time off or attending to one's health. These factors can be synergistic because they can often be in tandem within the same workplace. So we've had this pandemic now. We're almost going to be in our second, third year of the pandemic soon. It's hard to believe. Has the pandemic affected the workplace, obviously, and how has its effect on the workplace can maybe contributed to the well-being issues that we see? As I had stated, Herb, in a previous podcast, we did not get into medicine to watch people die which especially early on in the pandemic is what we did with alarming frequency. The infections, the level of deaths negatively impacted the healthcare community. There was a lot of fear and powerlessness surrounding the disease because there was a lack of knowledge. We got into healthcare again to help people, but we lost colleagues, we lost friends, patients, and family. And we are, believe it or not, human too. We had to take this home each night and then try to process it often on our own. So there you saw lots of psychological stress, burnout, and increased suicide. We also saw increased levels of medical errors, empathy, provider turnover, and clinical exhaustion. And it got worse the closer to the front line of care you got. 96% of our healthcare workers feared the transmission of COVID to loved ones, which precipitated isolation from their basic support, social supports, their spouses, their close family, their kids. Primary suggested interventions for uh, mental health services were not available. Many of those doctors were also closed because they were trying to avoid getting disease. So we have to develop support groups to encourage ventilation and reduce isolation, and that has to start at the institutional level. What I ultimately say, my analogy to this is, COVID was the boulder that broke the camel's back. Uh, as all of those above stressors that I had mentioned were present before COVID came on top and just made things infinitely worse. So the, it used to be you'd go to work, you'd finish your work, and you'd go home. And you couldn't actually take your work with you unless you'd carried a big briefcase. But now we have computers and the Internet. Mm-hmm. You know, work is ubiquitous almost in that you can get on a computer anywhere. How do you think that's affected some of this? Physicians have an incredible drive. I think we all have that. Everyone in medicine, I think, is a little bit type A. And there is always a desire to try to get as much done as humanly possible. People want their lab results now. They want that phone call returned as soon as possible, even though there may be 400 of them. And there's only so much time in a day. And so what physicians wind up doing is they sacrifice their own personal time to meet up with the ever-growing demands of medicine. 
I try to teach students when I'm teaching on wellness is that medicine is a consumptive profession. It will consume you utterly if you let it. And so you just can't let it. You have to at a certain point decide, I am going to unplug now. Tomorrow is a new day. I'm going to rest. I'm going to rejuvenate. I'm going to pay attention to my own personal and professional health, and I'm going to start again. And I'll do as much as I can within that time, as efficiently as I can, and then at the end of the day, I'm going to unplug. If you let don't unplug, you can, never, you can never let go. And so there's a lot of guilt relative to that. There's a lot of, am I getting as much done as the colleague next to me? You probably are, because that colleague is doing everything that they can do as well. And so we don't necessarily need to compare. We need to realize that we have two different dimensions. There's the work dimension and the home dimension, and we need to keep them as fundamentally separate as we can. So when you're done, be done. Be done. And then go home and be something other than a the father, clinician. a yeah. husband, a best friend. We hear this phrase work-life balance, and it sort of implies that work and life are equal and that they're on this uh, balancing beam and that they have to be <clears throat> in sync and balanced. And, and yet I've also heard that uh, you should approach it as though your life is the sun big yellow ball in the sky, and work is a little tiny yellow peanut M&M, uh, which would imply there's not a balance, that you should pay more attention to your life than your work. Although it's almost, especially if you are a professional and you have a career and a vocation, in many ways your life is your work. Tell us, walk us through work-life balance, what you think it means, and how we should think about it as clinicians in order to preserve our well-being. I don't think it's a myth. My analogy is that work-life balance is like a relationship. If you don't pay attention to it and put effort into it, it's going to wither. And so it is one of those things that you have to just have in the back of your mind, keeping it in balance. I don't think, unfortunately, in modern day society, home is the sun and work is the pebble. It's probably two equal globes with equal gravitational pull circling each other continuously. Mm. And so when you're on one side and not the other, you have to pay attention to that one side. You can't be thinking about the other side. So, for example, if you're having marital stress, you don't get to bring that to work. You don't get to bring that irritation to work and take it out on your support staff. However, when you go home, you can't take that bad case that turned out today and take it out on your wife. You have to have appropriate balance and focus in each area. And so time management is key. Don't procrastinate at work. The less procrastination you do, the more productive you'll be, and the better you'll feel leaving it when you've left it. Second, everyone needs that recovery time, as I've mentioned. You have to put work away and unplug. I don't think I can say that enough. And our phone can be just as big of a problem because we can check labs and chest x-rays and all of that sort of stuff through our phone just like we can our computers. you got to put the phone down and actually have a conversation with the person in front of you. Mindfulness is critical. Everyone has to have their time as well, not just time with the kids or time with the spouse or with the best friend, but alone to reflect, to calm down, to decompress, and to process. I also tell them that they must practice what they preach. Don't just grab fast food during a busy shift. Get a healthy meal. Get an actual seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. Get yourself 30 to 40 minutes of good aerobic exercise daily, and then Lastly, but probably most important, is the ability to strategically and appropriately say no. Because, again, medicine is a consumptive career. There will always be another patient. 
There will always be another project. There will always be another committee and another question. You have to know when enough is enough and when you're tipping that balance too much from one side to the other. And so if you work on saying no and making sure that you've got things covered on both sides, then you have adequate balance. So you've said don't procrastinate. A lot, one of the root causes of procrastination is, is wanting something to be perfect and worried that you'll never make it perfect, so I better not get started with something. But perfect is the enemy of good. Yes. And, but you also said say no. And we are probably the worst at saying no. Give us some tips on how to, in a very collegial way, say <laughs> no without worrying that you're going to cost your job or something yeah. like that. So I've yet to meet the supervisor that likes that word. When they ask that question, they're automatically anticipating a yes. And so you have to say yes to an extent. And that's why I say strategically and appropriately say no. You have to say yes to enough things that you can show that your plate is reasonably full. So when a supervisor says, I want you to do this one more thing, you go, Dr. Supervisor, I would love to do that one thing, but I've already taken this thing, that thing, and another thing. And because of that, I think it would be a better idea for you to move that one more thing to someone else. Or take something that's already yeah, on my plate. Which do you plate. want me to remove? Which one do you want me to remove? Because it's all about balance. Mm -hmm. Because the career will put as much on your plate as you're willing to put on it. And then you'll get to a point that you can't manage all of that. So you have to say yes a few times so that you can say no at the right time. Is the inbox ever empty? No. And that is something that you have to come to the conclusion of. It will always have something in it. Even if you empty it, you might have five good minutes before it fills again. And so you have to reconcile that fact and realize that that phone call at 459 can realistically wait until the next day. Or you can just send them to the ED. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, it's been a joy talking to you again, and I appreciate it. We, today our topic was uh, well-being in the workplace. Next we're going to do uh, well-being in your personal life and invite others, everybody to come back and, uh, and hear us on that podcast. But Dr. Lang, thank you very much and look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much.